I am so happy that you um, accepted to participate in, this is going to be the 10th um, interview or talk uh, for this channel, Changing the Narrative. And with me today, just to make a little introduction, I have Sen Donen. She is um, based in Denmark and she's a Danish lawyer and a board member of the NGO Everyday Sexism Project Denmark, which is a voluntary organization that um, collects experiences about everyday sexism and also informs, enlightens and fights sexism. Um, Sen also writes articles in various different newspapers and magazines. So you're definitely very active in, in the debate about sexism. Um, I thought that maybe we could start out because um, I don't know you. <laughs> you. This is our first talk. This is our first time that we actually speak together. But I do know the organization Everyday Sexism Project Denmark because I saw the group on Facebook. I know it's not only a group on Facebook. There is much more to it. Um, but I was uh, immediately um, sort of drawn to it because of the content that you have and because of what you show. And it goes very... Um, uh, it's very similar to really what I kind of want to do with this channel, and that is to talk about that sexism that, like you say, everyday sexism, or like we say here in Spain, where I'm based, um, we call it micro-sexism. So it's that thing that we all kind of normalize or might not even uh, recognize, um, but is still having a huge impact on on all of us, men and women, and, and society. Um, so I thought it was a very, very interesting um, organization and the way you work. So I would like to ask you maybe to, to talk a little bit about the organization, how you got involved, and, and what kind of work you do. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is... Um sort of like the thing that we do in, in our organization. We, we talk about, we, we try to get out to as many people as possible with our message to enlighten people about everyday sexism and um, to give them hopefully uh, some hope and some way of recognizing and combating sexism in their own lives. Um, I was involved from the beginning in 2012. Laura Bates in the UK started the Everyday Sexism Project with a web page where she collected experiences about sexism. And in 2013, uh, a team of Danish women started a, a Danish site, which is sort of like an under page for, for, for the UK page, uh, collecting experiences. And I was a part of... Um, a, a small uh, Facebook page in 2013 that started up and it grew bigger. And in 2015, uh, we started as an organization, a volunteer-driven organization. Um, in Denmark, people who uh, are like-minded, you get two, you, there's a joke that, you know, if you're two people that are interested in the same thing, you form an organization in Denmark. We are very much... Uh, a country, as you know, yeah. but people outside Denmark might not know, we're very much a country of a lot of different volunteer-driven organizations. Um, so this is one of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can say that what 
um, what uh, differs us from other organizations that are interested in women's rights and and uh, and so on is that we are very. Um, it's it's at, at the same time it's a very small topic and it's a very broad topic. But sexism is we we, we don't go out and call ourselves oh we're a feminist organization we uh, we work for equality. We're very focused on sexism. So it's sort of like um, you could call it just a corner of uh, the women's the fight for women's liberation or equality or whatever. But you can also just say that it's. You know, it's a very big su uh, subject, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, but, but it helps us, uh, because we are small and we are volunteer-driven, so it helps us sort of like to narrow down what, are we, what do we do and what do we focus on. Mm -hmm. And our main focus is on uh, women and girls' experiences with sexism. But that is not to say that we don't acknowledge that men experience uh, discrimination, that people... Um, with other uh, gender uh, uh, will experience uh, uh, some sort of discrimination, which is close to sexism, that people who are racialized will also experience racialized sexism and so on and so on. So, um, but our focus, our main focus is on um, women and girls, different kinds of women and girls experiences mm -hmm. with sexism. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, as a small organization, um, we, of course, we, we try to do our best to, to fight sexism, but we know that, you know, it's um, first and foremost, we use our social media canals. We are on Facebook, yeah. we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, but also, of course, we love to go out and, and for example, we go out to schools, we go out to um, youth uh, political parties and so on. And we go out to, for example, we've been on Roskilde Festival, which is... Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yes, <laughs> we, go, we have, we have uh, since 2015, we've been there five times um, on Roskilde Festival, talking to the guests and, and making uh, flirting work, workshops, which we have also done mm. in a lot of other places. So we, we do things on the digital platforms and we do things physically and we go out and we debate with people in person. We try not to debate with people on social media because then you, you might not do anything else. <laughs> but, um, but we like to go out and, and make uh, speeches and do debates and so on uh, in real life. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's very, very powerful. And just for anyone who doesn't know, Roskilde Festival is one of the biggest festivals, I think, in Europe um, yeah. with many, many, many participants every year. It's it's a huge festival. Um, and so, yeah, I can imagine that that is definitely a place where it would be good, good to have you uh, present. And so you were saying flirting workshop. What does that exactly... Could you just like... Uh, Make a short. Uh, Our flirting workshop is um, is you know it's it's something that we invented because we wanted to have a fun name for something that is actually a bit serious. Yeah. But um, it's about um, making room for people to talk with each other in small groups about uh, what is okay and what is not okay. Um, what are your 
what are your personal boundaries around flirting, around uh, kissing, around sex, around relationships and so on? And um, what do you do? What don't you do? What do you like? What don't you like? And we give, we, we've, we've uh, taken the workshop to a lot of different places. Um, so it's both groups of people that know each other beforehand and groups of people that don't know each other beforehand. But it gives sort of like a space. We give some scenarios and that's, it's a very, a very short recap. We give people scenarios. We make them talk about the scenarios. And the good thing is that we get the, the feedback that we get is that it's really nice for people to have space to actually think about and mm. try to verbalize what are my boundaries, but also experience that people are very different because yeah. that's the fact that you can't, you know, sometimes you see some magazines that says, you know, 10 things to do, 10 things you shouldn't do. But people are very different. And that's yeah. sort of yeah. like the point is to, to open people eye, people's eyes to, you know, the very big variety of, you know, I like this and also I don't like this. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's what we do with the flirting workshop. And we are also uh, developing um, a workshop which is more oriented towards um what to do to combat sexism, we call it everyday sexism fighter. How do you combat sexism um, as a bystander or a person mm. that, you know, you can be a bystander in, in real life or you can be, but you also with just people discussing things, it doesn't always have to be, you know, that you witness something, but you can also be sort of like a bystander for other people's conversations. It can be people that you know, people that you don't know, and it can it can be digitally and it can be uh, physically. So um, we have different kinds of uh, workshops and we go out and, and we talk a lot also to school kids and so on and, and on a lot of different topics. Um, but regarding uh, primarily, of course, sexism, but also what is consent uh, and, and different kind of... Um, yeah, bystander-related stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And how do... I'm curious to know how... Um, because I can kind of imagine, I guess, how women uh, respond to the workshops, although I'm sure there are very different um, responses. But how do the men respond to your workshops? Are they, are they surprised sometimes by what women say or... Do you feel like they they learn something that they realize some things, or is that more a general thing for everyone that participates? I don't think we we see a lot of very um, binary reactions, mm. you know, men and women reactions. I think that what we see is that some people are more engaged in the, in the topics that we talk about. Some people are know a lot more uh, and some people really don't know anything. Yeah. And um, so the questions and the commentaries that we get are very varied. Yeah. Um, of, and of course, sometimes we will have some people and they can be any gender that are very skeptical towards mm. the whole concept. You know, is, is it really a problem in Denmark? Do yeah. we really have sexism, and is is it really uh, mostly girl and uh, girls and women uh, that experience different kinds of sexism? So 
of course, that kind of response we do get. Um, but mostly when people invite us out, we make sure that it is actually out of interest and not to... Um, not to spend a lot of time just, you know, uh, defending and... <laughs> yeah, you, it's not something you're imposing on people. It's kind exactly. of something they've already asked for. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm asking because I think, um, so for, for people who don't know, um, Denmark has experienced a very large uh, Me Too wave, let's call it, uh, in the past year or so. Um because of a TV presenter, uh, Sophia Linden, went on stage at a comedy show, I believe it was, uh, and she shared an old personal story and that kind of set things off. And then um, there were a lot more people who came out and shared and and the debate kind of really took off. Wouldn't you agree that that was around that time that the things, like it became more, like the debate has always been there, but, in, in 2013, when we started, sexism wasn't a, 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 a topic that anybody knew anything about. It wasn't, exactly. uh, it wasn't described in media. And slowly it has started being something that people talk a, a lot more about. And um, what we experienced is that we have collected a lot of stories from 2013 and up to 2017, where these sort of like international, the hashtag Me Too, gained a lot of uh, traction in 2013 Mm. and the curious thing is that after 2013 it has been a lot slower for us actually to collect experiences because before that we were like the only place that people could actually say you know I've experienced it and uh, um, and could do it anonymously and after 2013 a lot more people have gained the courage to get it out in the open that they've actually yeah. been the victims of and this is particularly sexualized um, uh, um, sexualized violence in some sort yeah. or harassment yeah. assault um, because sexism is of course a lot wider a lot broader topic than that it's also mm. for example stereotypical um, knowledge uh, uh, that it Stereotypical uh, about um, gender and uh, sexuality and so on. But but after 2013, there's been a lot more people who openly went out and said, I have experienced harassment, I have experienced assault and so on. Yeah. And, and then in a very typical Danish manner, I would say, uh, there, there came so much backlash because... We in Denmark, we have this notion that we are very equal because we have a lot of formal equality. We have a lot of laws in place Mm. that give us formal equality, that give men and women the same rights and protects men and women. So what happened in 2013 was that there were a lot of people sharing um, experiences, but also a lot of media giving space to people that were very negative uh, around the whole idea that we had a problem. And what happened last year was that after this speech that Sophie Linde gave, was that it seemed like suddenly a lot more, in the meantime, from 2013 to 2020, 
a lot of um, firms or corporations, especially also media corporations, but also political parties, had went through a process of actually examining, do we have a problem in our organization and finding out, yes, we do have a problem. So sort of like the ground was prepared for a new discussion, which actually started up again last summer. And this time a much more serious discussion where the starting point wasn't, do we have a problem, but we do have a problem. So what is the problem actually? Yeah, and how to deal and, with it. Um, and that has been that has been amazing uh, as an organization. Mm-hmm. That has, you know, we have been trying to make this a focus for a really long time, and it has been amazing to to see that it seems like the narrative is changing now to an acknowledgement that we do not have gender equality. Yeah. Um, and that we do have a problem with harassment and with assaults, both in the workplace, which has been a lot of a big part of the discussion, but also outside the workplace. But a lot of other things has also done this because we had the, for example, um, last winter we had the, in the wake of the Sarah Everett case from UK, where a woman a woman was uh, was killed on her way home from. Yeah party i think from from the city from a friend's house yeah Yeah, by a policeman she was she was raped and killed by a policeman and uh, there was a hashtag campaign text me when you get home and we also had a a very big discussion in denmark why are women scared of men that they meet in the street because you know the typical um we've had this discussion many times before (laughs) but this time it was it was in the outline a bit more serious because it wasn't just, you know, just relaxed because it's, you know, usually it's men who are, you know, who are exposed to violence in the nightlife and so on. Mm. So just relax because it's not you and so on. This time it was more serious. And we have had a lot of these um, talks that wasn't, that weren't just about um, this one the Me Too, the sexual harassment in the workplace, but also a lot of other places, which has been really, really great because as um, an organization uh, where we have focus on sexism, we have this pyramid. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but we have a pyramid showing what sexism is. And on top of the pyramid is, of course, the very serious problems with um, women getting killed by their partners or ex-partners mm-hmm. and rape and sexual assault and uh, digital assaults, different kinds of sexualized violence and so on. But underneath that is the sexism that we experience on a more day-to-day basis. And as you said in the beginning, are normalized and, yeah. and many times are... Um, seen as something minor and something that we should just shrug our shoulders and say oh well whatever and it's just this one idiot and so on it's just a joke yeah yeah i mean look at look at the christmas parties in denmark the company often the company christmas parties i mean that's a whole um stereotypical image we have in denmark of the things that go on 
uh, for Christmas parties, right? Like uh, uh, the sexism, the cheating, the the boss grabbing the secretary's ass, things like that is something that we all know when, when we say Christmas party in Denmark, we all know this. In fact, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to tell you this. I have a Um, a Spanish friend who um, sold his company to a Danish company and therefore still works with them and, and travels back and forward to Denmark and between Denmark and, and Spain. And he has participated in, you know, like the typical after beer party um, on Fridays with the company. And he told me, Luisa, I was shocked by the, the way that the men behave towards the women on a, just a plain Friday afternoon after work, having a couple of beers and how the women kind of just, you know, accepted it. And it was just all jokes and haha, and but it was really uncomfortable and very strange. That's how he described it. And this is a guy from Spain that is, you know, I wouldn't say used to, to sexism because uh, it's not, but, but it's just, we often have this image of, the southern countries uh, being, being more machismo more, and exactly. more, more stereotypical gendered and so on. Yeah. yeah, when it's actually exactly the same. I can tell you now from, from experience of having, you know, grown up in Denmark and now living here in Spain for 16 years, it is absolutely the same. Mm. So uh, shocking. Yeah. But, you know, that was just to tell you of this, This thing that how we normalize sexism, how it's even a joke to people sometimes, it's definitely not. And it's minimized. Seriously. It's yeah. minimized and it's normalized. And, and people are saying, you know, just say whatever. It's 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 fine, it's okay, and just smile and walk away and so on. Yeah. So this is what is on in the on the bottom of the pyramid is things like um marginalizing uh on the basis of sex on the work in the workspace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being interrupted all the time by men being asked to pick up the coffee, even if you're the CEO and so on, all these things in the workplace and outside the workplace, it's, it's, uh, it's the jokes, as you say, it's the, the stereotypical uh, division of toys, for example, mm. it's the commercials that are very stereotypically uh, aimed at people. It's, uh, it's all these little things that we grow up with as, and, and sometimes we can only see the, The problem when we gender flip, I don't, you've probably seen all of these, you know, the gender flip of the commercials, for example, how the women are posed, how they're always like um, objectified, sexualized, and so on, in a way that, okay, you can always find the examples with the men, but it's like one to one million uh, yeah. in numbers. So, and um, often made as a joke or you know something that's kind yeah, of silly. Yeah, very, or, yeah. and in yeah. Denmark we, we we love our jokes and we are very um, we love to say that we've got like the best sense of humor. And if people mm -hmm. can't laugh at everything, and I'm like, okay, this is also like pedophilia and yeah. necrophilia and stuff like that. If you can't laugh at like everything, then you just haven't got any humor, and then you're like an outcast in Denmark. So you yeah. you're sort of like bullied into um, saying okay to a lot of sexism on the basis of this is just you know 
funny. This yeah. is humor. Yeah. You should be able to laugh at this. So, um, and we've had a, quite a few examples in, in the year that we've just uh, went through with this, you know, the, the funny sexism thing. And, and this is on the basis of the pyramid. And what you can say is like, uh, when you say that this, it's, it's like in, you said something about in Spain, you don't call it everyday sexism, you call it. We, we call it micro, micro, uh, yes. yeah, micro machismo, yeah. machismo being exactly. sexism. And this is the pyramid is sort of like a, um, a picture of the microaggressions, the micro sexism, which is like a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. If you if you just if you just cut once by something, you know, you a man is shouts, you know, nice tits after you on on the street. It's fine. You you can survive that. It's it's like you know, okay. I go home. Yeah. I live my life. It's nothing. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But if you experience these microaggressions, it's like a thousand cuts, and it actually starts to make a large, a huge impact. My daughter, uh, she's 22, and she's already had like thousands of experiences. Like, like last, I can't remember, I think she said she, we were with each other in, in the Christmas uh, vacation, and she said just last week, um, a man, in broad daylight, walking down the street, um, clapped her on the butt. And really? she, she, she'd never seen the man before. No. And I'm like, you know, this happens to her so many times. This was in Denmark. Yes, in Denmark. Wow. Yeah, she's, she's experienced this so many times, I'm telling you. And this is, yeah. but, but what I'm saying is, it's just, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, because we are very isolated. We have Corona, like you have. Yeah. So people don't go out a lot, of mm. course, and she doesn't go out a lot. But it's, you know, even when even there yeah. are people actually in the streets and it's broad daylight, this yeah. happens. And, and now you can add anything. And uh, now and you can add the internet, her generation, you know, of like exactly. young people are exposed. Exactly. It started, it started right. when she was, yeah, when yeah. she was 13 was yeah. the first kind of messages that she got uh, on the internet. Um, there was like an app called Ask uh -huh. um, that was very popular. And she had so many, you know, from, you know, I want to fuck you to I want to rape you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is just, you know, so it's, it's what I'm saying is it, it's the, the, the things individually, when you look at these things, the everyday sexism individually, it's, you know, you can say, well, it's not a big deal. You should brush it off. You should move on with your life. But the thing is, when it gets, it, it just adds on and on and on and on. And this is what actually, when you do normalize and minimize these things at the bottom, it creates the things that go on top of it. Yeah. Both because the people experiencing it gets used to it they they think okay it's just you know me being a bit hysterical and i shouldn't you know and then it's very difficult to set your boundaries because you you get told that you should just shrug it off and and move on with your life and then it gets more and more and people can invade your space in more and more ways yeah. and it's exhausting it's exhausting to say no and set your boundaries all the fucking time. Yeah. So you give up 
And then you actually create the things on top because the people who are doing these things and mostly men, also women, but mostly men who are doing these things also sees the response, which is, well, you know, you should just laugh at it. You yeah. shouldn't take it so no seriously. And if somebody tells you, no, you should just keep on because, you know, the romantic uh, comedies tell you that it's really romantic to stalk somebody or to yeah. keep on, you know, to break into their wedding and say, I want to marry you and so on. All, all these things together gives the perpetrators also the message that this is okay and this is expected in our society and it is not something that people will think, you know, are abnormal um, mm. because it's just what happens. Yeah. It's just how, it's, it's, it's how you're a woman and it's how you're a man. So, um, so this is... This is why we, we like to use this pyramid because yeah. usually when we talk about Me Too and we talk about assault, people can, in general, can, can agree that we do have a problem. We should do something. We should do something about rape. We should, should do something about femicide. A lot of people will tell you, well, we can't do anything, but it's, you know, it's always going to happen. Like it's always, you know, people are getting, uh, you know, killed in, in traffic accidents. This is, but most people will say, yes, let's, you know, this is a problem. Let's do something about it. But the problem is that if you don't do something about the things underneath, if you don't do something about the everyday sexism, then you won't be able to do something about the things at the top because they, they lay the foundation. And, and that is why when people, for example, on social media will go into our page and say like, why do you care about you know, this and that? And, um, and then we say, well, we do, because this is just one little piece in a very big puzzle. Yeah. And yes, if you look at this piece individually, it's not a big problem. But the thing is that there is a greater picture and we have to look at it from, you know, from far away to see how it's all connected. And it is all connected. And what we think is really nice is that we can see that also the media are taking you know are, are looking more at structural and cultural mm -hmm. explanations now before before we had the problem that you know it was always like you know you see every case as just one individual case and now we can actually begin to talk about structural sexism which is really great because what, what we have experienced in uh, Everyday Sexist Project Denmark is that we get called for the little things. Um, for example, they're like, you know, we saw this, uh, whatever, commercial, something, something. And are you, you know, are you uh, upset about it? And we're like, well, um, we can talk about this, but we don't want to talk about it if we can't, you know, talk about the structure that it goes into, the culture that it actually um, undermines and so on, because we're, they love to just put organizations like us in, um, in a spotlight and say, you know, these feminists, they only care about the little things. Yeah. And, you know, they get so excited that, 
a man said something about, ooh, put her back in the kitchen and so on. But the big things they don't care about, which is a lie, of course, yeah. but they love to put us out like that, we, that we only care about the little things. And we do care about the little things, but we care about how they, in combination with all the other little things, actually create a, quite a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is such an important point, I think, really. Um, and it's a great way of illustrating it with, with this pyramid. Um, actually, the reason why I was, I, I began talking about how the Me Too uh, kind of movement or wave in Denmark uh, really took off uh, last summer was because lately I've heard comments like, which is very much what we're talking about now with everyday sexism, um, are comments from men that I think have a hard time of, I mean, I understand it's a transition period for them as well, but I think they have a hard time of grasping or understanding completely what this is about. Because I hear comments like, oh, well, now I can't say anything to women. Now you can't, these days you can't even buy a drink to a woman in a bar. And I was thinking about this because of your, your flirting workshop, right? Because it's, and I try to tell them, of course you can buy a drink for a woman, you know? It's not about that. And I think that all or most human beings that are, you know, well-functioning, they will know and understand in the situation how to be respectful to someone. And of course, if you, in a polite way, or if you ask someone, can I buy you a drink? the person will either say either say yes thank you or no that's okay you don't have to pay for my drink we can all be polite and respectful about it, it that's not really what sexism is about but a lot of I, not a lot but some men i feel now twist the debate um, and kind of put themselves in the light of oh but now i can't do anything mm -hmm. so how do you respond to to comments like that there's so many there's so many discussions in this but um yeah. i'll try to start with the very popular um little video called uh, consent tea consent mm -hmm. from the yeah i think it's I, I can't remember if it's from scotland or from england but it's a uh, the police in uk made a li this little uh, cartoon uh, that's called Tea Consent. And it says, you know, there's uh, two stick persons. And it says, you know, consent is like tea. Uh, you ask, you know, do you want some? And if people, yeah. the person says, no, you don't pour the drink in, in their mouth. If they're passed out or sleeping, you don't pour the drink. You don't, you don't say, you know, you wanted tea yesterday, so you should want it now. This is an analogy for sex, of course. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, a lot of people say, you know, this, it's this simple. Consent is this simple. And, um, and me too is this simple. And then you have the other group of people that are like, well, there's so many gray areas and we don't know what to do. And, and uh, yeah, you can't do anything now because you'll get accused of something and false accusations and so on. I'm so scared. And some people, of course, are actually scared and they, they are confused. 
And I think it's very, it's legitimate because mm. yes, for a lot of people, consent and, and, you know, where's the line between flirting and assault is easy. It's, it's easy to distinguish because, you know, they have empathy, they've had a lot of experience, they are brought up in a place where, you know, you respect each other and you have a lot of practice in, you know, what you do and what not to do. But, um, but I can understand the thing, the, the, the worry and the confusion and the fear if you are not brought up like that. If you, if, if you, because in our culture, a lot of people are not brought up to actually really respect each other's boundaries. Yeah. We, we cross children's boundaries every day. Um, we, for example, we have, we, we have children uh, giving a hug to granny because, you know, she gave you a present or she's here or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when they say, I don't want that. We we um, we don't respect, for example, if they say I don't want to be kissed. Um, there are a lot of you know we 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 take them places they don't want to get go out of the door, and we pick them up and we put them in the car chair because we have to go to kindergarten now, and they scream and they cry and so on, and we're like, you have to do this because mommy has to go to work or daddy has to go to work. So of course. There's a problem for some people to understand what is what is this what is going on now what can I do like what can't I do and um, some of it is people who just want to make a problem out of something that shouldn't be a problem and some people just want to be very provocative and they say well I can't say anything anymore and they know it's not the case but some people are actually genuinely confused. Hmm. And of course we have to also address this confusion. So if people say that to me, I can't say anymore, men can't say anymore. I usually try and ask them, what do you actually mean when you say that? What is it that you are confused about? What is it that you are afraid about? Maybe I can enlighten you on some points. Because if they are genuinely confused and scared, then of course we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. I think um, we, have, we have experiences sent to us about rape where the man in the rape scenario returns to the woman and, are like, and he's like, he, hasn't, he has no idea what he's done. He says, you know, can't I see you again? It was so nice. I have one experience that where um, the woman said to him, I really don't like this. I, I get scared of you when you do this and I don't want to be here anymore. And she got out and afterwards she contacted him and said, you know what? You actually really scared me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that I, I scared you. So that's why all of the women I've been with have acted like they don't want to see me again. Oh, wow. And it's, you know, it, that, that is really worrying because yeah. the man seemingly didn't have any idea that his behavior, that his very violent way of holding her and choking her, which wow. she avoided, she avoided, but he was trying to choke her. She, he held her down even that, that she didn't, that she resisted and so on. I don't know where 
a man like that gets it from. I don't know if it's seeing porn. I don't know if it's just that he has been, you know, subjected to something in his childhood or whatever. But the thing is that some people actually don't know how to behave. And, um, and that's a big problem. But what I also think is that a lot of men do know when they actually are on a border or trying to cross some boundaries. And the problem here is that they've learned that if they are not aggressive, if they're not um, outgoing and taking the initiative, then nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women are used to the men taking the initiative. And some women will even say, you know, if he doesn't do this and that, if he doesn't take the initiative, I, I want him to, you know, throw me around and so on, because that shows that he really wants me. Mm-hmm. And if th- these men have experienced women like that, I can understand why they're confused. But also, I think that they do know deep inside that they're crossing a boundary and they're just waiting for a response. And if the women are like, I don't want to do this, then they're like, okay. But the thing is, about 20% of women have experienced assaults in their lifetime, 19% uh, some sort of sexual violence when they're over 15. I think it's 13% under 15. And that means that a lot of women can't say no. They'll They'll just freeze. They'll they'll maybe just lie still and wait for it to be over. They might, they might even do the, the tending instinct is also um, a trauma response that, you know, that protects you. Yep. It's like, you know, saying to the man, you know, okay, you, you, you're here with a man. He's, he clearly wants to have sex. Okay. If I say to him, I'll give you a blowjob, then something worse might not happen. And then she says, you know, can I give you a blowjob? And he thinks, well, nice. I like a blowjob. He doesn't see this as a sexual assault. So, so there's a problem with, with victims generally of all genders of sexual assaults because they, they need a partner that are a lot more aware of what it looks like when you mm. experience trauma. And, and then there are men who, and also women, but that don't recognize what assault is and those who do recognize it, but they just don't care. And if you're not very, you know, violently fighting, then they're like, well, it's better than nothing. And, And these people are really a problem because what we do know from, um, from research is that a lot of people who rape do it again and they do it again and they do it again. Yeah. Um, And um, to prevent that, we must have a talk with ourselves and amongst our friends and so on about what does, what does trauma look like? What does boundaries look like? What does consent look like? What is sex? And, um, and we must be also be better at calling out our friends that we can see have problematic views about yeah. these things. If they say, you know, well, 
it's it's not it's not really rape if you're in a relationship then you must say well yes it is it's actually very common and also that you don't have to say no to somebody because the thing is if you get a yes but the option of saying no is really not there because you know that then you know the person Uh, your partner will say, I'm committing suicide. I will leave you. Um, you are not the one that I wanted to be with. Why are you not, as you were in the beginning of our relationship, the guilt, the shame, the maybe a threat of violence and so on. If you don't have that option, then the yes doesn't mean yes. Yeah. So we have a lot of learning to do. And um, I think when we get these questions, you know, or, or these, you know, comments like, you know, you can't say anything anymore and women are just, you know, making up stuff and so on. Then I think the best way of responding is ask questions, ask them. So what is it really that you're afraid of? Where do you have your knowledge from? What, what do you actually know about this? Why do you have any experiences with you that have, has something happened to you that made you wary of women or flirting or whatever? And I would like to talk to you about that. Yeah, because often it's, I feel it's a, a thing that is just repeated in media or social media and uh, other men just repeat the same comment is not really because they have an their own personal experience. It's not that they have actually been to a bar, asked the woman if he could buy them a drink and got a snotty answer. You know, the, it, usually that's not the case. So like you say, if you address that person and ask him, what is your experience? Why do you feel like this? I think that's a good approach. Um, I want, there's like about a million things I wanted to talk about and ask you about. Uh, and I know we're not going to be able to do that in so short time. Um, but I did want to ask you if you uh, know about this article that was written by a forensic investigator in Denmark. Um, I believe his name is Essa Hilgold Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just shortly um, he made explain. a PhD, right? He made a PhD about uh, a homicide in Denmark in the past 2025 years. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting, and I wanted to bring it up because uh, this is the article that made me realize a lot of things about Denmark and about myself because my image of Denmark was. Um, we are a country of equality, full of strong, independent Viking women. <laughs> um, Spain, where I live, is a country that is very old-fashioned, old traditional gender roles, um, a lot of sexism, a lot of domestic violence. Um, that was kind of my image of the two countries. I read this article and I was so, so surprised um, by what he had found out. Basically, what he says is he studied uh, the past 25 years of homicides, all homicides committed in, in Denmark. He then looks at the reason why women have been killed. And it turns out that the reason, the, the most frequent, frequent reason why women are killed in Denmark is actually due to 
their partners or domestic violence. So we're actually talking about a 26% of all homicides that are due to domestic violence, women being killed. And it is a 56% if we're only looking at the homicides, uh, the female homicides of women being murdered. So it's uh, more than half of the women that are murdered in Denmark are being murdered because they were women. Um, For me, that was crazy to read it. I had no idea. Um, And I had no idea that domestic violence was such a big problem in Denmark. And I realized that it's a a global thing. It's not just a, a thing for you know, southern countries. No, it's all over the world. It's a huge issue. And it tends to be the most frequent reason why women are being killed. Um, and so that just really changed my image of what is Denmark. And I started remembering how it was to grow up in Denmark. Um, and I grew up with a single mom. So I was very much, you know, influenced and I guess by her, by an independent woman who lived alone and who had to do everything herself. You know, if we had to uh, hang up a picture while well, she would <laughs> uh, hammer in the nail and, and things like that, she would paint, she would, she would do everything. Um, and I very much felt like an independent, strong woman growing up. But I also remembered all the... Um, yeah, the, the, the sexism, all of a sudden I could put a word to it because it was sexism. All the comments, all the things, all the, the doubts, the um, harassment, even sexual harassment, the comments, the commercials, all the stuff that you were talking about before, which is in the bottom of the pyramid. Um, and it was interesting to me when you just spoke about that because trauma came to my mind. Um, that you can almost compare it to a sort of trauma that when you keep putting things on top and on top and on top, it's kind of like if you have experienced something, let's compare it to maybe a rape or, or something similar, something much bigger, and you keep pushing it down and forgetting it and not talking about it, and it just kind of grows inside you. And I think, can it maybe be compared a little bit to that, a thing that grows inside you and all of a sudden one little sexist comment is what really is going to to hurt you and gonna feel like a that, that is That's why I'm saying death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, exactly. Um, because you can also, you could look at other groups or other groups that might marginalize groups, for example, how experiencing racism yeah. affects your life. Yeah. And it does it, it does affect your life. It, yeah. it, it affects your life uh, in a profound way. So um, if of course it's different from trauma relating to an episode where you uh, felt like your life was uh, under threat. Mm. but it is a, it, it does have a profound uh, impact on your life. Uh, and, and one of the impacts is, of course, that you will internalize it. You will internalize the sexism. You will, um, a lot of women play along with the sexism. And, yeah. and especially um, in Denmark, I think, with the jokes like we talked about. 
yeah, for example. Um, but I do think also that it's interesting. I, I, I tried to find that, well, sorry, while you were talking, and, and I don't know if this is uh, possible to see, but this is a yeah. graphic showing um, murders in Europe committed by a partner rate per 100,000 inhabitants in selected countries. It's from 2013 from Eurostat. And um, the Danish number is uh, 0.21 um, murders in Europe committed by a partner per 100,000 people. Underneath us is France, 0.18. England and Wales, 0.13. Spain, 0.12. Italy, 0.11. Greece, 0.1. So we are at almost twice the rate as Spain. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the interesting thing is that you are talking about the conservative values as I see them, the, the conservative stereotypes in Spain. And in Denmark, yes, we do have this view upon ourselves that we are far beyond that. Mm -hmm. But if you look at how women sitting in groups for, you know, they're pregnant and they're in the little Facebook groups about pregnancy and small children and so on. And they're like, you know, does anybody have, um, you know, some baby clothes for girls in this size? Because yeah. my firstborn was a boy. Yeah. So apparently, you know, little girls cannot wear <laughs> the same thing because, you know, I don't know what. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's incredible how we're thinking that we've actually moved past this. But you still get the question when you go inside a toy store and you ask, you know, can I get this wrapped? And they're like, is it for a boy or a girl? Because they have two, two different colors for the, the wrapping, the wrapping paper. Yeah. And, um, and you will still get, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people arguing that, you know, men and women are biologically different. So they, men can't do this. Women can't do that. Women are better at this and men are better than that. And the thing is that this is, you know, this is a problem that we're dealing with that we can't yeah. actually um, talk about sexism without talking about that we're trying to erase it and say it's not a problem. But the other thing is that, you know, we do have these uh, homicides committed by a partner or an ex-partner actually at alarming rates that, that you're in Spain, you have like a national, uh, you know, awareness about femicides. Yeah. You don't have that in Denmark. We don't have um, that much of a focus. We we do have focus, but but not as much as you do in other countries. And I think a, a part of this is because we we get a backlash um, because we are actually we are moving beyond some of the stereotypes. We're moving towards more equality. We do get a backlash because every time in history that we have fought for women's rights, for equality, and so on some people, mostly men, but also other women will fight back yeah. and they will, they get frustrated, they get angry and they get violent yeah. because they see some of their privileges disappearing. Yeah. And, and I think that is what is happening. Why do we have these murders? It's because these men 
they can see that the women will walk away and they can do whatever they want with their life without them. They can do without them. And, and that's, and, and that is, you know, that's part of, you know, fighting for equality is that you will have people being violent because they don't want to lose their privileges and because they can see their privileges slipping through their fingers. And um, I think that's why we have violence against women uh, at that rate and, and homicides at that rate that we have in Denmark. Yeah, it, so. it, it's uh, exactly what you say that um, I became aware of the fact that in Spain, they're actually very proactive regarding this. And um, uh, some years ago, they made some new laws that were specifically for domestic violence and to aid women. And you can see that it has actually helped um, and it has brought down somewhat the numbers. Also a huge difference, for instance, is um, every time there is a homicide um, due to domestic violence in Spain, it is on television, there's one minute of silence, it is on the news all over the place. Um, you know, women go out on the, you know, typically where, where the murder has taken place, all the neighbors will come out and they will do one minute of silence. It, it, they make a very big thing out of it every single time. Um, and they keep announcing also the numbers like so far, This year we have so many, and you know you don't see that in Denmark. You might have an article here and there, some woman got murdered, but nobody knows really about the issue. So there isn't a focus on it. Nor do I think I don't know. Is there any specific uh, laws to try and and? Yeah, this is this is this is one of the things that we have tried in the, in Everyday Sexism Project Denmark. We made a guide for the media to how to handle um, uh, media cases on gendered violence, sexual violence, uh, digital violence, physical violence, uh, partner homicide, and so on. And this is one of our points, is to contextualize, yeah. to inform, so that, for example, when you report from a case of a partner homicide, femicide, then you contextualize. You say, this is a problem Uh, you, we have these uh, statistics, we have the knowledge that there are typically in these cases eight steps before the homicide, we don't have an action plan, we don't have enough education about this and we should and so on. So, mm -hmm. so that is one of the points that we make in our guide to the media because it is very important to, to put it into context every time we take these single cases because of course they should report about the single cases but they should also put it into context of the structural problems that we do have. Yeah, and what, one of the things I really liked about, I read a couple of your articles Because I said in the beginning, you also do um, write for some magazines and newspapers. And I read two of your articles. What I thought was so powerful about them is that you refer so much to numbers and statistics um, and facts, really. It's not so, I mean, of course, we also have to talk about emotions and how we feel. But sometimes it's also very important to put the numbers on the table. I mean, that, that, um, article or PhD from, from the forensic investigator that put hardcore facts on the table and really told you in percentages and told you that this, this was the main 
uh, or most frequent reason for why women were being murdered really opened my eyes. And, and I think that can be quite powerful in, in this type of debate to enlighten people of the, how big the problem really is. Mm. Um, I also know that uh, you yourself, unfortunately, was raped and your daughter as well. You spoke about it in the articles. Um, how did that affect you when you having, uh, you know, experienced something that traumatic yourself when your daughter came and told you? Yeah, well, um, of course, it, it affected me deeply. I mean, yeah. that's like the one thing that every, I think every parent fears. Um, and, uh, and it took a couple of weeks before she told me. And, and I think because she knew that, of course, that it would, that, that her parents, that me and her father would be really upset and really sorry. And uh, I think a lot of victims have that experience that they don't talk about it to the people closest to them because either they're afraid that they won't be believed. For example, if it's somebody that the people around them actually know, which is the case in most cases of rape. Yeah. Not in this case, but, but most cases. Um, and also, if they do believe, then that they will have to handle not only their own sorrow and their grief and, and trauma, but also the people around them. Yeah. Because, because, you know, it's, it's difficult enough to handle your own feelings. How do you also, you know, handle the people around you? So I think it was... <laughs> It was a learning experience because I've talked to a lot of rape victims, but they haven't been my daughter. Yeah. So I, I think it was, you know, a first-hand experience. And yeah, how do you actually handle being close to someone who has had uh, sexual assaults, you know, happening to them? And um, yeah. And I'm still tearing up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm asking you because I think it's, it's something that really is so important that we start uh, giving the voice to the victims and that so they can talk about it from their point of view as well. Um, I'm saying this because the, the last conversation, well, two conversations before you, I spoke to um, an Argentinian filmmaker and her sister who lives in Buenos Aires was, is a survivor of a femicide attempt. So um, she was uh, stabbed by a, a, a young boy, a man. Um, and afterwards it turned into a whole media circus uh, because this was together with another, it was at a dance school and it was together with another kind of semi-famous um, dance teacher or dancer. Um, both of them got stabbed and the sister, so the filmmaker I was speaking to, she was so upset about how the media had treated the victims, um, how they had exposed their lives, how much focus there was on all these bloody, gory images of them, how they took their private photos from Instagram, 
um, how they were talking about who they were dating and all these intimate details and completely left out the aggressor. They blurred his face. They wouldn't you know, say his name all to kind of protect him. Um, and so we had a long conversation about that and about how to give the voice, not the image, <laughs> the voice to the victims mm. and, and how to put the focus on them. Because at the same time, as I was talking to her about, we don't want to really name him and glorify him and give him his 15 minutes of fame because unfortunately especially when we talk about you know serial killers or um serial perpetrators they sometimes are actually looking for that kind of fame or attention and so this whole thing about giving serial killers nicknames and stuff like that is something that i have learned now to try and, and, and refrain from and not do, um, not really name them. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we don't want to take the attention away from, from the victim either. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, a very, it's, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, it is. Also, also, it is tiring that we have to yeah. again and again lay bare our trauma as survivors, as victims. I myself also a rape victim. And, and it's, it, it, it gets tiring that you have to, you know, you know talk about your trauma again yeah. and again and again and, and often in detail and so on. And people will like... You know, reporters will like ask you details because, you know, this is what uh, the people reading the article will ask themselves. Mm. And this is one of the like, well, maybe not. And uh, maybe you shouldn't just, you know, uh, think that every person on the street should have their question asked. Yeah. You also have to... You have to draw a line because what we would like to do is actually to get the spotlight on the perpetrators, to get the spotlight on how do we, how do we not make perpetrators out of human beings? How do we, yeah. how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? And you can't. The problem with always focusing on the victim is that you sort of like get the attention away from you get the attention on how could she have done something different mm. for me. and 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 then you know and, and you would rather like to say how can we as a society prevent this guy or this woman or whatever how can we prevent the perpetrator in doing it again and how to, do we prevent any more perpetrators from becoming perpetrators yeah and we do have so we do have to look at the perpetrators to prevent that is very important because it's it is really difficult to lay yourself open again and again and i think it's very it's important and a lot of for a lot of victims it is a part of their healing that they get to tell their story yeah. and i won't minimize that um but it is also really important that we get to the prevention part where the focus is off the victims. Yeah. Because you because you you the risk is that we keep on getting the same questions, which is, you know, how can we uh, protect our daughters? 
Should we, um, how, how, you know, that, that's also a question for me, you know, like what, what could you have done differently? That is what you will ask yourself as a parent. Could mm -hmm. I have done something differently? Could I have told her, do never, you know, go home to a stranger or never go out and, you know, after 12 o'clock or never walk alone and, you know, could I have done something? That is what every parent will ask themselves when they see these stories on the news and they will think you know uh, luckily i have always said to my daughter that she should do a b and c the thing is you can do absolutely nothing if you don't look at the perpetrators if you yeah. don't look at prevention at the source which is you know the perpetrator and yeah. not the victim yeah so the focus should be on what can we do to prevent uh, young boys growing up becoming uh, perpetrators and aggressors. and also young girls we shouldn't uh, you know i just well. I, I just want to have the nuance with me that yeah. you know one of the myths surrounding rape is that men cannot be raped mm -hmm. which is actually laying the ground for women to assault men we okay. have uh, we have experiences for, like men waking up at a party they've, they've fallen asleep because they're drunk and that or they're tired and a woman has had their penis in their mouth or sitting yeah. on top of them. And, and these women will think that they've done nothing wrong because, you know, when a penis is erect, he, you know, he wants to. Yeah. But, all, but these myths are also making perpetrators. So what we should do sure. is we should, we should um, do a lot of uh, enlightening about what is assaults, what is consents, what are boundaries and... Um, and we should, you know, go out and, and make this, you know, a public debate because a lot of people are saying that we need to teach our children in school. And we do need to teach our children in school because we can't always think that the parents will teach. But we also do need to teach the adults yeah. because yeah. the adults are also committing assaults and doing harassment and so on. So it's not just that we have to make a new generation but we also have to have these conversations amongst us, the adults at home, yeah. at and the you, workplace, uh, everywhere we can do this. Yeah, and I think you're never too old to learn something new, right? I mean, we're all a little bit a victim of the society we have grown up in. So we've all been influenced. We've all, um, you know, some, I, I don't know if indoctrinated is a is a very big word but somehow it's, it's, we've, we've internalized we've internalized yeah. the stereotypical notions of what is sex and what is gender and so on and you can see for example my mother's generation in her generation the the you know there was a common saying that you know if you've said a you must say b Meaning, you know, if you've kissed this guy, you've actually said yes to have sex with him. Yeah. So they, they didn't, you know, they didn't think that it was assault because, you know, I knew what I was going in. I, I went home with him or yeah. I kissed him or whatever. And, and, you know, happily in my generation, your generation, that has changed. But we also, we can learn a lot <laughs> and, and we should because yeah. it's, not, it's not just the young people and the and kids that needs uh it, it's actually us that have, uh, you know, have not respected our kids' boundaries and we should have yeah. done that. So we have a lot of learning to do as well. No, definitely. And there's still a lot of victim blaming 
going on when you look at cases like that. And there's always, like you also spoke about before, um, well, what could you have done? Maybe you shouldn't have worn this uh, skirt. Maybe you shouldn't have gone home at three o'clock in the morning alone, things like that. The, the, the blame seems to be uh, put on, on the victim always, and that needs to shift. And that is something that we, you know, all of us have to start uh, changing the way we, we think of things. Um, and that's why I think language, words are so important. Uh, therefore, I chose the title Changing the Narrative because I think it's so powerful how a narrative is like what we see. It's the image that we all kind of share. It's that stereotypical image we have of certain things or certain per people, genders, race, etc. Um, and it's hard to break that sometimes. Uh, but I think with yeah, with information and especially debate and what we're doing now, having a conversation and, and feeling that there is a, a sort of a safe space for you to, to express yourself and debate things. Um, I feel like I'm learning something every time I have these conversations. So, so that's great. Um, Sen, I, I could really go on and on and on. And I feel like this conversation that I've had with you has probably been the most chaotic <laughs> because there are so many things I wanted to talk about and uh, it's maybe has become a little bit superficial. Maybe I should have just chosen one topic for you. Um, but I thought it was really so interesting and I encourage everyone to, I know only Dan Danish people or people who speak Danish will be able to read um, on your website and on on the Facebook, but if you do speak Danish, I definitely um, encourage people to go and look at Everyday Sexism Project Denmark um, and look at the content on all your social media accounts because it's really, really, really interesting. Um, and also there is of course the Everyday Sexism um, English version. Uh, which you can also have a look at. Uh, I do feel like you guys are more active, at least on, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then, then I want to, you know, because we're at the top of the hour, I'm going to ask you if you have any last words, anything, you know, either advice or, or something you want to, to tell us or promote. No, uh, famous last words. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I think you said you know. Please go and follow us, and yes. um, and also you know that. Yeah, I, I think it's important to know that you, as a, a single person, sometimes you can feel like you know I've just stepped into this, and how can I make a difference? I'm just one person. That it's important for everybody to know that you can make a difference. Mm. I mean, I'm just one person, and I think that. I've tried to make a difference. People tell me that I have made a difference. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and everybody can, because we yeah. can have these conversations. It's really important to have these conversations with the people closest to us, our family, our colleagues at work or at study or, you know, or people online, you know, a lot of people are very um, anxious about going on Facebook and, and participating in debates. And I can understand that because it can be really tough and you have to take breaks from it sometimes. But you yeah. can actually, you can make a difference if it's just, you know, liking somebody that their comment that you think is the best comments on, on a topic like, you know, an article about sexism or whatever. Yeah. And somebody yeah. is saying, you know, you shouldn't victim blame and you can like that comment. 
And it's the small things um, because also like the pyramid, it is the small things that it can actually make a change uh, in the top of the pyramid. Yeah. So I encourage everyone to just do a little. So we'll be a stronger together. Yeah, that's good. That's good words to, to end this conversation. And I'm very sorry if it was a little bit uh, too superficial, some of it, because uh, these topics are very serious and obviously we could go way more deep into each of them and, and talk more about them. But um, as you say, encourage everyone to, to take part and, and also um, do your own research. Um, I, for instance, have found a couple of wonderful books um, about history um you know the history of of uh, women especially in Denmark that were very very interesting and enlightening for me and it gives me a different perspective on uh how did we get to where we are today so I think going into and, and reading history is also um an interesting approach yeah. and Laura Laura Bates have have written uh, some really really good books about everyday sexism the last uh, book she wrote was about men who hate women about you know um, the whole manosphere you know from incels mm. to men's rights activists and so on and uh, in misogyny online and in real life so um, so I will always uh, recommend Laura Bates yeah. books awesome all right well thank you so much then this, this has been great having you on and uh, I wish you all the best hope we can stay in contact thank you bye bye